0: Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies, written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and Don Muchao, and narrated by Melissa del Toro Schaffner. Moving on. The chief scientist addressed his subordinates via the communication network hosted by the mothership that orbited high above the world they had been assigned to investigate. He had announced the meeting two days before, and it had taken some time for a few of the research teams to return from their more distant archaeological sites on the planet far below. Despite years of being in charge of such missions, he sometimes found that he missed working in the field with the ethnolinguists, forensic xenobiologists, comparative historians, and classic archaeologists that he led. Unfortunately, those specialists tended to get too close to their work and often became too attached to their projects. They needed his leadership and his firm, guiding hand to maintain their perspective. Finally, all nine teams, 108 scientists in all, were present online, patiently waiting for the news they had been expecting for some time. Thank you all for attending, he said. I know how fast rumors spread, and I'm aware that most of you already know what I'm about to say, but protocol requires that I formally make this announcement before it becomes official. First, I want to thank every one of you for your outstanding efforts over the past many months. Exploring an extinct civilization so far out at the edge of the galaxy is an arduous job at best, but thanks to your combined efforts, we have finally gathered enough information here for us to reach a determination about the status of our mission here. You're closing it down, aren't you? Asked one of the scientists. That set off a murmur of whispered comments across the different teams. Everyone knew that this day was inevitable, but that didn't mean they were going to take it well. Essentially, yes. We've decided to conclude our investigations and set course for the next star system on the docket, Tau Ceti IV. But there's still so much to find, insisted someone. Every day we uncover more details about what happened here. We've barely begun creating a historical timeline for these people. We've only identified a few key events, often separated by thousands of years, to chronicle their presence on this world. Unfortunately, replied the chief scientist, there is always more to discover. Please don't make this harder than it has to be. It's time to wrap it up and move on." More disgruntled grumbling this time a fair bit of it, much more audible and hostile. All right, calm down, the chief scientist replied. I know you're frustrated. We were assigned to find out what we could in a reasonable amount of time, but we could literally spend lifetimes here uncovering endless details about the civilizations that rose and fell on this sad little world, We've already determined that the life forms that once lived here created a civilization that slowly emerged and eventually flourished. That's a wonderful story. At its peak, billions of sapient beings lived here over a span of tens of thousands of years, but they're gone now. They lived, they died. All that remains are curiosities that are best left to others to determine what to do with them. You mean relic hunters and scavengers? They'll loot this world and sell all of its artifacts on the open market. That's the reality of the universe we live in, said the chief scientist. We don't have the time or resources to explore everything about this place. There are other star systems we need to visit. We don't have the people to protect these ruins from others who are curious or anxious to visit them. That's also not our mission. Might I remind you that I once was a xenoarchaeologist myself? But it's such a waste, mumbled someone. I know, said the chief scientist in a patronizing tone. It's a horrible loss, but that's true for almost every world we've visited. Our objective is to search out and seek other intelligent life forms because they are so rare. Unfortunately, most of our time is spent digging through the pot shards of dead worlds where we arrived too late we have to hope for better at the next world and the next. Our mission, and the reason my superiors spend money on it, is to determine for certain whether we are alone in the reachable portion of our galaxy. The forensic teams also serve that need, but only to the extent that learning what killed now extinct civilizations helps us avoid that same end. We already know that most civilizations blossom, flourish, and die out, In no more than 20,000 years. They're fragile, but they don't see that. Very few survive beyond that point. Just ten more days, pleaded one of the team leads. No. How about three? You're negotiating. Give me a reason. Any reason. Change my mind. What if they're not dead? Said the leader of the technology team. The airwaves went silent for what seemed like the longest time. At length, the chief scientist spoke. If you've got something, give it to me. Otherwise, we're pulling up stakes and leaving in 48 hours. All right, replied the team lead. First, let me summarize what we've found. More than 50,000 years ago, the dominant bipedal species on this world evolved, gaining the use of tools and went about modifying their environment. They developed language and basic social skills and eventually eliminated rivals who fought them over resources. Their development then accelerated rapidly over another 20,000 years. Over the course of the world's history, many civilizations rose and fell. Eventually, they reached a global pseudo-equilibrium during which relatively few wars were fought. Their numbers eventually grew so large that they breached a limit. They could not grow greater in number without depleting or damaging essential resources. But they grew in number anyway. Go on, said the chief scientist, thinking to himself that at this rate, they wouldn't be done with this meeting before departure time. They'll want to review every detail they've found. The team lead hesitated, collected his thoughts and continued. Their ecosystem collapsed. Individuals fought their own battles for survival. They no longer had the time or energy to devote to solving their problems. They were doomed. Yes, we all know their civilization collapsed, said the chief scientist. It's not a simple matter of race extinction, interjected one of the Xeno historians. As my colleague pointed out, their ecosystem collapsed, but that's an overgeneralization. You've missed important details. We've confirmed that the entire race did not die out as had been suggested, nor did it completely devolve into animalistic oblivion. The population fragmented, fractured, and speciated. Those who still possessed the curiosity and capability for discovery and advancement retreated farther and farther from the chaos. Which means, the Xenohistorian continued, As their ecosystem collapsed, the oxygen content of their atmosphere decreased and the decline of their race was unusually rapid. A small portion of their population gathered in high-tech enclaves, domed cities that maintained their environment. Outside, the changing ecology and atmosphere forced rapid evolutionary changes, the brain consumes more oxygen than any other organ in the body. With diminishing oxygen reserves, those with smaller brains gained a significant evolutionary advantage. With each successive generation, offspring that survived possessed smaller and smaller brains. In less than a hundred generations, the major portion of their race shed the intelligence that had distinguished them as a species. Their race separated into two distinct subspecies, one highly intelligent, and the other, an atavistic, almost feral form of the original race. I know, said the chief scientist, that's nothing more than biological entropy, and we've seen it before on similar worlds. But this is different, interrupted the tech team lead. What the Xenohistorian failed to mention is that While most of the population degenerated into beast-like form, a small segment of their population isolated themselves into these domed arcologies and managed their number using applied eugenics. This culling of the less intelligent from their population, along with the harsh rationing of scarce resources, enabled their continued survival. As our botanists will attest, we have seen this pattern on other worlds we visited a mass of vegetation that does not survive a killing winter may yet produce fruit. And indeed, those isolated enclaves produced technological marvels. They achieved spaceflight, built cities in space that orbited high above their world, and established colonies on nearby planets. In fact, in the last cities on their southern polar region, The technological subspecies built remarkable structures. For instance, several mile-high towers still stand after being abandoned for nearly 10,000 years. These are structures that rival the sky cities of Istvan III, and they use ceramo metallic alloys and manufacturing techniques totally unknown to us. What they achieved is remarkable, even by our standards. The Chief Scientist nodded. That's true. Their survival was heroic, almost miraculous. But their continued existence was still tied too closely to the ecosystem of this planet. And as it collapsed, they died with it. In any case, it makes no difference, he said. One group is gone and the other will be extinct soon. The only remnants of their species consist of a few nomadic tribes. Less than 50,000 of these devolved animals remain in the green zones near the planet's former ice caps. They lope on all fours and rarely rise to their two hind legs except to fight or hunt with heavy clubs or sharp sticks. They travel in marauding packs and communicate with one another using, at best, a few hundred words. They have no memory or awareness of their previous accomplishments and achievements. All the knowledge they once possessed has been lost. Look, I get it, he added. The masses devolved, and the intellectual elites overcame tremendous odds and managed to survive for a little bit longer. But look, the city's empty. There's no one here to contact. Maybe they went underground, protested the Xenohistorian. Maybe they left. And besides, maybe the tech we've uncovered in the dome city in the South Polar The chief scientist stopped him mid-sentence. Listen to me. Our mission is not about maybes. Your desire to examine and document such minutia is little more than morbid curiosity. It won't change anything. The most you've found is an engineering anomaly. We can take samples of their construction materials for analysis later, but it's time for us to go. Loud grumbling could be heard from the different teams. But we should examine the arcologies more. What if there's more tech we've missed, like weapons or... That's enough, said the chief scientist harshly, his patience exhausted. This was getting out of hand, he thought. Most of these researchers are still too new to these missions and can't let go of their own wishful thinking. They cling to hope in the face of unwanted facts, and they'd stay here forever if they could... Pandering to their requests will only delay the inevitable. Look, I share your frustration, he said with feigned sympathy. I too wish we could stay and learn more to preserve the memories of this place, so it won't be forgotten forever. But we have to conclude our activities here. By all our mission objectives, we have to face the fact that we got here too late. He counted off the damning fact. First of all, there's no intelligence race to meet or save. Next, your own team estimates that oxygen generation on this world will completely fail in another few centuries, and the mass extinction event of everything except ocean life is inevitable. There are also no significant resources that would prove of value here, and no technological finds with the exception of a few curiosities. In the meantime, There are other prospective worlds that show greater promise, and it is our primary mission to assess them. As I said before, you have two days to wrap up your respective projects here. Please return all salvageable equipment and instruments to the ship's stores and prepare your final reports. But what if we can find evidence that the intelligent subspecies survived? Interjected the tech lead. Then you would have found something by now, scowled the chief scientist. But we haven't even looked. What do you mean you haven't looked? I don't mean we haven't looked here. We have. I mean, we haven't looked out there. Don't you remember? You forbade us to. When we found the failed colony on their moon, you ordered us to stop wasting our time and limit our investigations to this world. But since then, in their final city, We found clear records that an advanced colony had been established out near the sixth planet of this system, the gas giant with rings, before the last enclave here failed. They might still be here. The chief scientist clenched his fists. They aren't listening, he thought. They don't want to accept the reality that we arrived too late once again. They'll cling to every straw to disbelieve the facts in front of them. Still, their feudal faith was a reality that he had to deal with if he was ever going to get them to willingly leave this place. Fine, he said sullenly. Go check, but everyone else pack up. Unless you find something significant, we leave here for Tau City. With that, he closed the meeting angrily and left the nine teams to work out their final work schedules. Two weeks later, instead of accelerating to the next star on their mission list, the mothership found itself still in the same solar system. They had headed out to the gas giant, but upon reaching it, discovered evidence of habitation on one of the planet's moons. The chief scientist once again convened the conference with the away teams. This time, however, they all gathered in person in the mothership's large spinning auditorium the only venue big enough to hold everyone. As he walked to the podium, whispers spread across the crowd, but they quickly subsided. Sighing deeply, he began. Once again, it seems I'm here to officially tell you what many of you already know or suspect, but this time it's different. Per my last instructions, our navigation team conducted a search for other colonies in the system where the inhabitants of the last city we found might have gone. As a result, they found a powerful energy signature from the moon below us. The other 15 satellites around this gas giant are ordinary and not noteworthy. But this one is quite unique. He scanned the room. For once in his life, he had their rapt attention, and there was no muttering. We have since confirmed, he continued, that the inhabitants of that last technological enclave did in fact migrate here and establish a permanent colony. Those who fled here not only survived, but thrived. That's the good news." "'What's the bad news?' asked someone. This time, however, it seemed that the question had been asked out of genuine curiosity, not miffed frustration. While this colony supported tens of millions of beings for nearly 10,000 years, it now stands empty, said the chief scientist. Were we too late again? asked one plaintive voice. Perhaps. The inhabitants are gone, but it does not appear as if their society collapsed or failed. There was no gradual decline in the population or massive die-offs. Rather, it appears as if these cities were abandoned. By everyone. All at once. Perhaps they faced a threat. Again, curiosity from the audience, not hostility. It was a welcome change. There was no destruction, he continued. Nothing is in disarray. Everyone here just suddenly disappeared. Forensic analysis confirms that this world was occupied as recently as two centuries ago. A mere moment in terms of the overall lifespan of their civilization. They apparently all participated in a mass exodus of some sort. There was a loud cough behind him, and the chief scientist turned to see the tech lead waiting for his turn to speak. After all, these were his findings, and he had the right to present them. Stepping to one side, the chief scientist yielded the podium. Without introducing himself, the tech lead spoke. Orbiting this moon are what appeared to be shipyards of surprising size. Inside one of the docks, we found a partially assembled vessel more than 10 kilometers across. Moreover, there's clear evidence that at least two other such ships existed since we found the plaques at the shipyard commemorating the christening of those vessels. We believe that the people here built arc ships, vessels that could have carried 100,000 people or more. Ten times that many if the passengers were in hibernation or suspended animation. The docks have room for perhaps another dozen ships. After consulting with other team leads, our working hypothesis is that the people here left together to voyage to another star. Supporting this theory is an unusual structure that we found in the center of the main city. It consists of a massive pylon, appears with an inscription on it. The monolith is made of an alloy that we haven't been able to analyze, in part due to its unusual properties, one of which is that time near the structure passes more slowly than it does further away from it. That said, gravimetric measurements confirm that the object is no more massive than it appears to be. We have to assume that the time dilation is either artificial in origin or some innate property of an as-yet-unknown material. In any case, it represents technology capabilities significantly beyond our own. Has the linguistics team deciphered the inscription? asked someone in the audience. Yes, replied the tech lead. The cryptic writing on the pylon references that the time everyone has been waiting for has come, he said. Though it fails to specifically mention what that moment or event might be. But I'll let you judge for yourselves. Here's the text. As the long night looms, legacies of forgotten pasts and lost glories haunt our dreams. While the bold still dare and hold to sacred half-forgotten truths, entropy consumes even the memory of memories, and despair threatens to prevail. In the shadow of vain accomplishment and the lifeless world that is not home, in cities that will never see rain, we cannot claim victory and instead, we contemplate the paths we did not take in the time we no longer have. But far better it is to dare, to risk, to dream, to seek uncertain destiny beneath the light of alien suns, than to lie beneath the shroud of ignominy, eulogizing what was and what can no longer be. For the past will never change, and the future is not yet here. Every new moment leads us away from the past, and each step forward leaves something behind. As we discard and gather anew the moments that define us, will history remember us as who we were or what we have become? So come, strange adventure, we must embrace the impossible, for it is time to move on. When the tech lead finished, there was silence from the audience. After a moment of shock, people started to shout out questions. Soon, everyone was talking at once. What does this mean? Did they really leave? Someone pointed out that the poem was ambiguous, as if inviting death. Did they commit racial suicide? Fly their ships into the sun? That's nonsense. Why build all those ships then? Fine, said someone else. But where did they go? Where could they go? Others countered with their own questions. The chief scientist let the chaos play out for a while, then stepped forward, regaining the podium. Gradually, he quelled his audience. Those are all good questions. I am of the mind that the passage is a call to action, a rallying cry. As others have pointed out, this civilization had seen a lot of change in a relatively short period of time their world collapsed, they fled that world, and now they may have left again. However, there are only hints at where they might have gone. In their final days here, they seem to have been obsessed with a nearby star system, Sigma Draconis, which lies about 19 light years away. We've found extensive charts and notes about that system. The navigation team confirms that it is the nearest system with a G-type star like their own. If their plans were to relocate to another viable world, It would be a logical destination. So that's where we're headed next, shouted someone in the audience. It was less of a question than a presumptive statement awaiting confirmation. Glancing back at the tech lead, he added, The xenobiologist and tech teams have confirmed that the race's efforts to breed for improved intelligence seem to have paid off. Their technology exceeds ours in several ways, but while they never developed FTL propulsion like our own... They did apparently figure out how to regulate the flow of time. That's another technology that we don't possess. If we're right, as many as 12 million passengers could be in stasis on those ships, and no time at all would have passed for them during their voyage. However, our calculations indicate that at sublight speeds, ships of that size would take nearly 500 years to reach their destination. Hesitantly, the chief scientist continued. Still there's a chance they might still be alive. The murmur from the audience grew with restrained enthusiasm. Then we're going to follow them? asked someone else. Our situation here is unique, he replied. We've never found a living alien culture before. But now there's a chance that we might be able to. We have no choice. We must go. To that end... We'll be leaving as soon as possible and set course to Sigma Draconis. With luck, we may be able to find them or their progeny still in transit for whatever awaits them. For the first time, we may contact another alien race and discover how they think and feel and dream and hope. And who knows, maybe we won't be too late this time. The auditorium exploded with shouting and cheering. It was the answer everyone had been hoping for the chief scientist decided he'd send out his additional comments and assignments later, since he could no longer be heard over the celebrating crowd. To his own surprise, however, he found he didn't share the exuberance of his peers. Despite the fact that he'd spent nearly his entire life searching for other alien cultures, he'd never before come this close to achieving that goal. He realized that, somewhere along the years, he'd grown inured to the dusty death of entire worlds, and that he had resolved himself to the fact that he would never encounter another living alien culture. It seemed ironic, he was so used to the failure of these missions that he found it hard to face the possibility of success. Despite the hope and excitement of everyone in the auditorium, his thoughts grew dark and his heart heavy. Here they were, ready to chase down refugees of another race who had their own purposes and goals. But who are we, with our single ship and tiny complement of crew and scientists, to interfere with the mission of millions of sleeping souls, to trouble a race that might be more technologically advanced than our own? By what hubris should we feel justified to intervene? And if we do, will we be saviors, interlopers, or saboteurs? With his mission now muddied by his own personal doubts, He found himself alone, standing in the midst of a celebrating crowd, and regretting ever having come to investigate the wretched backwater world that was Soul 3. Thank you for listening. We'd love to serve more people like you, so please share this podcast with your friends and family, and anybody who might be a sci-fi buff. I know that they'll love it. If you'd like to support the show for about one cup of coffee a month, You can go to the link in the show notes on every episode and find a support this podcast link from anchor.com. It'll give you some options on how you can support all these great authors on this podcast, as well as myself and Jeff. And we hope that you love what you hear. Have a great holiday season and happy new year.